hope you're well. Good evening, church. Great to see you. I hope you're having a, a fab weekend. Um, I know I'm going to have to keep your attention a lot because it's been a hot day and uh, one or two of you with a couple of little sweets and a bit of water, you're probably going to flag very quickly. Um, so I'm going to dig straight in. So if you have a Bible, uh, please turn it on to Matthew chapter um, 13. Or if you need one and you haven't got one, there's some Bibles here. Uh, we're going to get into um, God's Word fairly quickly and... Um, If you're visiting us, great to see you. Thank you so much for joining us um, over the summer months. Um, We're in a teaching series entitled Stories. Uh, What's the title of the series? Stories to Tell. Tell. Thank you very much. Um, I should know that. Um, And um, (laughs) it's been a long day. I've been in the sun. And uh, as we explore um, the stories that Jesus told, and particularly tonight we're going to be considering one of the parables um, of Jesus, the parable of the mustard seed. And hopefully, because it should have happened at the beginning as you were walking in, you might have been given a mustard seed. Um, And um, hold that in the palm of your hand or clench it at the moment and try not to lose it if you can. Well, I wonder if you can cast your mind back to um, that time in your youth when you lived in fear and dread of your life. Yes, I'm talking about school parents' evening. Um, It might take one or two people a little bit longer to remember back to those um, kind of days, Andrew, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) I include myself in that. Uh, One or two of you probably don't need to um, think back that hard, but um, that was the time when um, either at the beginning of, or at the end of your first term, or either at the end of your last term, um, your parents went off um, to see your school teacher, um, your subject f- um, teachers. In my case, it was also inc- included the headmistress. Um, and um, your parents would come back and they would then give you a report on what your teachers said. And um, my parents would obviously pay the babysitter. I wanted to pay the babysitter to stay all night. Didn't want her to leave, but um, she did. Um, But I remember quite vividly the moments when my parents would sit me down and it would be like, right, Gareth. And they'd want to go through the finite details of the comments from each of the teachers and the subjects. And it felt like I was in the dock at a magistrate's court. And I would, um, you know, wax lyrical um, before they even got started. Say, Mum and Dad, I know what you're going to say, um, but, you know, school development is so much more than just education, isn't it? And I'd explain to them the benefits of, you know, experiencing a whole plethora of things from sports and football, which is sports, and girls and those kinds of things. And try to help them realise that as an adolescent, I was about the, the whole adult, adolescent development, not just about education and my focus of my um, studies. Um, They didn't buy that. Um, And in fact, my parents um, were so um, intrigued by my school years that they actually kept hold of all my secondary school reports. And even though they live in Australia, they decided a few years ago to send them to me. I don't think, I don't know what they wanted to do, whether they wanted me to go through the whole pain again. Um, But... um, it's quite intriguing reading. Um, Christian education. It was called Christian education, not religious education back then, but Christ- it was a long time ago, I know. Christian educational uh, education, my um, subject teacher said, some reasonable work produced. Reasonable work produced. You know that there's something behind that, don't you? Um, an enthusiastic worker. Gareth always works with enthusiasm. That was um, PE. Um, and then... Um, 
in, in my second term of Christian ed- education, um, my uh, 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 teacher just said, satisfactory. So in terms of the whole Christian education, it's kind of reasonable, it's satisfactory, and here I am, a vicar, preaching in the, in the likes of this wonderful, amazing church. There we have it. Um, uh, still, my physical education was um, um, playing well with others. I thought that's what you did at nursery school, but there we go. Um, Gareth works hard and contributes orally in the lessons. <laughs> Means I talk a lot. Then in my second year, I'm not really sure what happened in my second year, but there's blood on my school report. I can't remember whether that it came home and that was my blood or what, but there's blood on my school report. There we go. Capable of better results, um, said my geography teacher. Um, a very pleasant member of the form has made a satisfactory start to the year. So satisfactory, reasonable. And that pretty much sums it up. Gareth has worked hard this term. <laughs> and then, I love this, from um, one of my final years at school where my form teacher wrote this. At present, Gareth is not doing as well as he should in all subjects. <laughs> I think that in some subjects, he is following the bad examples set by others. That is so, so true. <laughs> I don't know if you, um, um, it's a little bit of fun, and here I am, and I think I've done okay so far. And uh, the Lord is still using me um, to further his kingdom. Um, But I wonder if you've got memories of things that were said about you at school, you know, could have tried harder, you know, intelligent but needs a little bit more concentration or something like that. Or I don't know if you went to a school where, um, you know, perhaps even the school teacher, they wouldn't do it nowadays, but, you know, said to you, you know, not sure he'll amount to much, you know? And there was a little bit of kind of like Berry, Lancashire. Can anything good come out of Berry in Lancashire? Well, there's black pudding. You can't have a good English breakfast without a black pudding. There's something that good that came out of Berry. You know, we live in a world where, you know, sometimes it feels like um, we're insignificant. It feels like people don't think that we will amount to much. And there are plenty of people in the world. History is littered with people who people made all kinds of comments about them. And yet, they rose above. Here's, um, here's what was said about one man. He wasn't able to speak until he was almost four years old. And his teachers said he would never amount to much. Albert Einstein. He was fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. Walt Disney. He experienced the death of his fiancée, failed in business, had a nervous breakdown, and was defeated in eight elections. That was said of Abraham Lincoln. What a great man. And at the age of 30, he was broken and a depressed man after being sacked from the very company that he started, Steve Jobs. She was a divorced woman single parent, bankrupt on welfare benefits, was diagnosed with clinical depression and contemplated suicide. You might never fail on the scale I did, she said, but some failure in life is inevitable. It is possible to live without failing at something unless you live so cautiously that you might as well not have lived at all, in which case you fail by default. That was the author J.K. Rowling, who wrote the incredible series of Harry Potter books. And um, one final one, she dropped out of college before working at Dunkin' Donuts for only one day because she got fired. 
That was Madonna, the queen of pop. Sold over 300 million albums worldwide. History is full of women and men who were never considered much, apparently, in the world's eyes. Their talents, their ability to influence, and yet, the people that I've just mentioned have punched holes in history. We know them. We've heard of the great things that they have done. And not only is history littered with people, apparently, who you know, were never going to amount to much, but the Bible is also littered with people who were never considered that they were going to amount to much. It was said even of Jesus. People thought that Jesus and his ministry and his mission were, quite frankly, just insignificant. They thought it was just, you know, the Romans just thought it was, you know, something that it needed to be quashed. It was just a, you know, a rabbi teacher. He wouldn't, um, you know, he wouldn't, what he was going to do wouldn't really have any significance with the Roman Empire. How, oh, how wrong they were. Jesus himself is someone who walked what I like to think of a journey of obscurity to world renown. In fact, to rena- the renown of eternity. Tonight, as we consider the parable of the mustard seed, we're going to consider the DNA of the, of the kingdom of God, where we see the, the nature of the kingdom of God move from obscurity into eternal effect and power and influence. When it was said of Jesus um, that he would never amount to much, Philip um, found Nathaniel and told him, and he said, we found the one Moses was speaking about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the response came from Nathanael, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Cheltenham? I mean, really? I mean, I know there's GCHQ, the GE Aviation, but apart from that, it's in the middle of the Cotswolds. I mean, it's a bit nice, isn't it? Can anything powerful or significant come out of Cheltenham? And then a little bit later, in Matthew's um, gospel, we read about Jesus who just performed a whole lot of miracles and he comes to his hometown of Nazareth and he began teaching the people in their, in their synagogue and the people were amazed and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't he the carpenter's son? I mean, isn't this Joseph's son? We know Joseph, he's made my table, he's made my, my chairs, you know, he's repaired my plow, he's just the carpenter's son and, and he's, he's, he's Mary's, Mary's son and we know all a little bit about the beginnings of Mary and Joseph and it was a little bit, you know, isn't Jesus the illegitimate one and we know his brothers and his sisters they're all here with us where did he get all these things from this incredible teaching and they were offended at his teaching and his influence and the authority in which he spoke because he came from such small beginnings this morning we're continuing our preaching series stories to tell and we're considering as I said this characteristic of the kingdom of God that Jesus teaches um, when he likens the kingdom of God to the mustard seed that you have in your hand. Take out the mustard seed, if you will. In a minute, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 13, but hold it in your hand. See how tiny, you might not be able to see it in this light. See how small um, mine has just dropped some. Oh no, here it is. There it is. Uh, here you go. 
It's so tiny, isn't it? Most mustard seeds are only the diameter of one to two millimeters. Maybe that's what is in your hand. This represents the power of the kingdom of God. In your hand is what Jesus likens to the kingdom of God. And of course it was said of Jesus that he wouldn't amount to much. And yet Jesus is the one that we know. Jesus is the one who is the center of all history and the future for all humanity. And he began a movement, he began a ministry. The kingdom of God that was as small as this seed in the palm of your hand. I mean, what incredible exponential growth the kingdom of God is. And um, when Jesus was wanting to teach people about the kingdom of God, one of the challenges for Jesus, that's why I think it took him three years of teaching to try to um, um, teach them about the kingdom of God. When Jesus was trying to teach them about the kingdom of God, he was, he, the challenge for Jesus was that he came up against their perceptions of what they thought the kingdom of God was about. Because when Israel was thinking of a kingdom and when Israel was thinking of a king, it's because they wanted to be like the other nations. Yes, in Samuel, we read about the story about how um, Israel asked for a king. And so God gave them a king reluctantly. And what they'd failed to realize that in, in God giving them a king, they themselves in their hearts were taking God off his throne because he was their king. He was their creator in the kingdom of God. And they wanted an earthly king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And so when Jesus was um, speaking about the kingdom of God, they were thinking, well, here he is. Here's the promised Messiah. He is the one that's going to establish the new kingdom. He's going to establish Israel again. And here we are with Roman occupation in our own land. We're like exiles in our own land. We feel like we're being um, oppressed on every side by Roman occupation. And yet, maybe this is Jesus who's going to lead us. And he's going to overthrow Rome. and He's going to overthrow Caesar. They had the wrong perception of the kingdom of God because God's kingdom is subversive. God's kingdom is unseen. And as we read in this parable in a moment the mustard seed that is so tiny, so insignificant, so inconsequential when you look at seeds and plants and things. It's so, so tiny. The potential of this seed is huge in comparison. So Matthew 13, verse 31. Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. There it is. The kingdom of God in the palm of your hand. Which a man took and planted in a field. It's helpful to know that one of the things that theologians and commentators say about the parables is that the parables that Jesus told, the stories that Jesus told, weren't, Jesus didn't tell them just to communicate um, truths, divine truths about God um, and about the kingdom, but also about Jesus and his ministry there and then. And so one of the questions when we look at scripture, when we look at the parables, the story is, you know, what, who is Jesus talking about here in this, in this story? Who is the one 
who plants the seed. Jesus is the one who plants the seed of the kingdom of God. Mark chapter one, verse 15, Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry says the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus planted the seeds of the kingdom of God. He's the one in the story. The man, Jesus, took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that birds come and perch in its branches. And then verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So what is Jesus wanting to say to us today? What is Jesus wanting to say to us tonight here in Cheltenham, Trinity Cheltenham, um, or if you're visiting from another church, what is he wanting to say to you and to your church about the kingdom of God through this small story of a couple of verses where Jesus likens the kingdom of God to this little seed that is in the palm of your hand? Well, what do we know about this seed? We know it's tiny, it's small. But what we do know about this seed is that when it gets put into the right environment, when it gets sown into the right fertile ground, it grows. When it's watered, it grows. And with sunlight, and again, it grows, it grows, it grows. And so I, I wonder to what extent are you positioned in the right environment where you can grow in the kingdom? How are you being watered? How are you being fed? You might say, well, I come to church on Sunday and I get great worship and, and, um, and great teaching and that's how I get fed and watered. Can I just say in all Christian love that isn't enough? As good as the teaching and the preaching tries to be here in, in this church and the worship you know, if you're not in a life group, you need to be in a life group or an accountability group or, or a small little um, 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 group where you pray in a triplet or something like that, where you can spur each other on, where you can encourage each other. There's a whole lot of verses, 42 times um, Pete, um, Paul talks about um, how we treat one another. And a lot of it is all about the encouragement, the building up, the admonishing um, of one another in the Christian faith. You can only do that in, um, in group smaller contexts. How are you thriving as a seed of the kingdom of God? How are you being watered? And are you taking responsibility for yourself for being watered in terms of um, reading the scriptures, in terms of um, meditating on the word of God, in terms of praying with one another, in terms of stepping out in the kingdom of God? Incredible thing about this seed is that... um, um, whilst the, the hearers would have known this to be the smallest seed, it's not actually the smallest seed that is known to mankind now, but it would have been the, the known smallest seed to the farmers and the gardeners. And when it, when it grows, Jesus says, when it, in the right um, environment, in the right ground and with the right treatment, as it grows, it grows to be a tree. And um, some people say that um, this little seed can grow to be nine, ten feet tall. I guess that's about as tall as the balcony, something like that. I mean, imagine this little seed growing to the size of the balcony in terms of height and its branches come out and its branches, Jesus said, 
um, welcome the birds. And the birds really represent other life. They welcome shelter. And and what what the hearers of Jesus would have um, had resonating, particularly the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would have had Daniel 4 resonating in their their minds when Jesus talks about the tree that grows and and it becomes a place of protection. And um, that's when Daniel interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, um, the king at the time in Babylon. But what, um, what Jesus is wanting to say is, no, 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 it's not Nebuchadnezzar, but it's my kingdom that will grow first through the people of Israel and then beyond to the whole world. And what Jesus is wanting to say as he, as he reflects on that passage in the Old Testament from, from, from Daniel 4 is that this is about world domination. This is about global occupation of the kingdom of God. And of course, it's not about physical geography. It's about a spiritual geography. The rule and the reign of God in men and women's hearts. So this seed that Jesus talks about teaches us that small is significant. Maybe you're here tonight and you feel quite small. Or maybe you feel quite insignificant. I want to say that in the kingdom of God, you are significant. You might feel small, you might feel that no one notices you and you might feel that in this church and if you do feel that no one notices you in this church, I'm really sorry about that. We try to do our best and um, I encourage you again to get in a life group, a small group. That's how we get to be family in such a, a large congregation. But small has the power to become huge when God's power and God's presence and, and God works through the right environments that we put ourselves in. I love what um, Zechariah says. Zechariah asks the question, who dares despise the, despise the day of small things? May we never despise the small things in our church. Those that perhaps work behind the scenes, though you know, Andrew's mentioned it a couple of times, those that you know, aren't on the platforms, aren't um, leading worship, but those that work behind the scenes making everything happen. You might feel that you've got a small role in the life of this church, but it is so significant. It is significant to the king and his kingdom. Such a small seed and yet so significant. Remember a couple of years ago, 2011, we, um, we decided um, Trinity had run a number of internship programs for um, probably about 10, 12 years up until that point. And um, we've had interns serving in all kinds of different ways in the life and ministry in this church. And in 2011, um, we had the idea, I said, well, what if we um, got some of our teaching and we, we got it together and we filmed it and we put it together in a curriculum and made it available to other churches and we just gave it away because one, one of the values of this church is that we give away what we've received. And um, so we, um, we met with John Coles, the then leader of New Wine, and we pitched it to, to him. And, um, and John and New Wine gave us a little seed money. It was just small seed money, but it enabled us to pay for the cost of filming and, and producing um, some sets of DVD and curriculum material. And um, I then went around a couple of churches and a couple of people bought into it. And then in 2012, three churches, three centers decided to start the discipleship year training um, 21 interns across the country, which is brilliant. It's a great little start. It was very small, but it was, it, was, it, was, it was just so encouraging to see what God was doing in the lives of those young adults that were being invested in over the period of 11 months. 
Five years on, the New Iron Discipleship Year, as it now is, is in over 16 training centers. And Chris Fox, who now leads it on behalf of New Iron, is hoping to see 100 um, young adults as part of that, uh, that initiative. But it all started here as a small thought, a small beginning. And in this church, we've had all kinds of different small thoughts and small beginnings that have, you know, God has just breathed his spirit into and they've grown, be it through training of worship leaders or school of theology or, um, you know, Tandem Fair, which is one of the things that we've run here historically. Um, and other churches have caught the vision of, of how we can bless and how we can um, support single parents in the community. Little small seeds. I wonder what are the small seeds that God has placed in your heart? What are the kingdom seeds that God has placed in your heart and mind? And with the Spirit of God creating the right environment of water and, and, and renewal and the life of God and support of friends and, 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 uh, and life groups and, and small groups and, and uh, staff or whatever, leaders, you know, what what might it grow into? The small seeds that God has placed in your heart. A second thing this seed demonstrates, I think, is that when something is insignificant in the kingdom, it can become an instrument of transformation. See, when the world thinks something is insignificant, and as I said, there are plenty of people that the world has considered insignificant. When God comes and works through an individual, they become an instrument of transformation, not just for, of themselves, but of those around them and even to the nations. I wonder what seed God might be planting in your heart that could change a nation, that could change a particular people group in our community. You may have heard of George Muller. George Muller was born in 1805. You can tell by his beard. Although he's probably quite hipster now. Um, he was born in 1805 and he was, um, his parents um, were separated. Um, as a young boy, he became a thief, a gambler and a drunk. That's what he did in his teenage years. He'd go around nicking stuff and he'd be found in the church cemeteries drunk. But by one chance, apparent chance, encounter, one God encounter, he saw someone kneeling and praying in the street. And that convicted him enough that he knew he had a need for salvation in his own life. He gave his life to, to Jesus. He read the, read the Bible um, cover to cover, he trained for ministry as an evangelist, but there was something stirring in him as a minister um, that, that was actually so much more than um, perhaps just leading a church. And that was that he had a real heart for orphans. Um, God broke his heart for the poor. And um, you may know the story, but George Muller um, cared for over 10,000 orphans when he set up the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol. He then went on to set up schools and um, the education was at such a level that some people um, said to him and in fact accused him of raising the poor above their natural station in British life. Now, how sick is that? 
He established 117 schools which offered Christian education to more than 120,000 children. A small seed in an insignificant man that the world probably would have discarded because he was a thief and a drunk. You know, God loves people that the world discards. People that the world thinks are rejects, God absolutely loves. He says, okay, I'll have you. Let's see what we can do together. Brother Andrew, if you know the story, um, he was a Dutch soldier in 1945 and he was wounded and Andrew Vanderbilt, as he was known, came to faith um, whilst he was convalescing from his, um, his injury and he, as he was um, convalescing, he decided to read the Bible and made a decision to follow Jesus. He smuggled Bibles across communist countries at the height of the Cold War. What an incredible man. If you ever read his, book, read his book, God Smuggler, incredible stories of supernatural um, encounters. And still at the age of 89, he shares faith with Islamist fundamental national leaders. Some people might call them terrorists, but he shares Jesus with them. He's the founder of the incredible movement, Open Doors. Amy Carmichael, have you ever heard of her? She was born to Presbyterian parents in 1867. She was plagued with neuralgia, which often made her body weak, leaving her bedridden for weeks on end. And in her early 20s, she answered God's call to the mission field. She had answered God's call to go to Asia. But following a period of health, ill health, she couldn't actually go out to the mission field. And so... Um, she, um, she couldn't go out to China where she was. But she wasn't going to be deterred by her sickness or by um, at times being bedridden. Once she got better, she answered God's call. And a few years later, she went to India. And at the age of 28, she founded the Don Haver Fellowship, which was a fellowship that worked to save women and young girls from forced prostitution in India. Incredible woman at 28. It was said of Amy Carmichael that she would dress in Indian clothes, dye her skin with dark coffee, and often travel long distances on India's hot, dusty roads to save just one child from suffering. A couple of weeks ago, um, bumped into an old friend. Um, um, I'll say her name's Sarah, because I can't tell you her real name, and you'll understand why. Um, Sarah, um, at a church in Hertfordshire, had a real heart um, for those in low-income families and on the estates. And she moved into the estate with some other single um, women and started just sharing the love of Jesus with her neighbours. And um, many on that estate came to faith and the church got more involved and did noise projects and incredible stuff um, of people coming to faith and joining the church from that story. But God continued to break her heart, particularly for prostitutes in, um, in this town in, um, in Hertfordshire. And um, she, um, she decided... Um, with another girl just to start going into brothels and she would just start um, demonstrating the love of God taking teas and coffees and talking with women who would then disappear into rooms and um, you can imagine um, what then happened to them um, but she started to um, just help um, take some of these women away from these brothels um, and that's the reason she I can't tell you her name because she's been pursued by um, um, pimps and criminal um, gangs um, and she's working incredibly hard she now has an organization called Karis um, Tiwala 
And um, today I heard the news that Justin Welby became the patron of this little charity that this young woman started in, that now employs 10 workers that work in a particular town in Hertfordshire to rescue and rehabilitate women who have found themselves either being trafficked or enforced prostitution. Small seed of the kingdom of God. A young woman that, you know, didn't do her A-levels, didn't get a degree. Some people might have thought that was, you know, not that significant in terms of an education. But with God blowing his presence and his spirit in and through her life, she's seeing people's lives dramatically changed. Thirdly, this mustard seed, and finally, one of the things you have to do with a seed is you have to plant it. That's what the, the story says, isn't it? That the man took the seed and he planted it. This, this seed needed to go into the ground. It needed to be buried. Of course, the one who planted the seed also went into the ground, didn't he? He was put in a tomb when they took him down from the cross. One of the dynamics of the mustard seed and the kingdom of God is that God takes what was originally from the grave or for the grave and brings it to incredible glory in the kingdom of God. And that's what God wants to do with your life. That's what God wants to do with my life. You know, you might feel like, you know, you're in a real pit at the moment. You might feel like you're not in the right place. You might feel that, you know, how can God use me? You might feel a whole load of things that make you feel insignificant. Well, let me tell you, that's not God's purpose and God's plan for your life. God wants to use you to transform this community and nations. I wonder what are the seeds that God wants to sow in the life of this church? How does God want to expand and grow this church? And I really believe that there's been a great history in the life of this church. But God has got more. God has got so much more for this church. And I really believe that the former things God is building on to make even greater. So I wonder what are the seeds that God is putting in your heart. Maybe it's to um, start a new ministry that will reach out to a particular group of people. Maybe it's to plant a church. Maybe it's to um, start something in your workplace or, or realign some of your workplace with some of the values of the kingdom of God. Maybe it's to um, you know, be an advocate for someone in our community that is single or alone or struggling with, um, with some of their, their finances. Maybe it's to set up a, a debt advice center, center like CAP or something like that. God, who overcame the grave 2,000 years ago, breathes life into his son who was buried in a grave and says, now watch me, watch me work. Watch me move. What does God want to move in and through you and me in this town and beyond? What are the seeds of hope that God has given to us? What does this all mean? The mustard seed of the kingdom is small, but it is significant. Where the world thinks it is insignificant, it's an instrument of transformation. And it transforms from the grave to the glory of God.
of God. And I don't know where you are this evening, but you know, God has got a great purpose and a plan for your life. It is not about the accumulation of things. It is not about the house or the car. It's not about the job. It's about the kingdom. And God wants to use you with your seed in your hand and breathe his life and his power and his presence in and through you for the sake of the kingdom. And it will be huge because our God is huge. You know, there's an account in um, Matthew chapter 17 where um, a child who's been having seizures, seizures fits um, through demonic um, possession um, this child throws, it, throws himself um, into rivers to, to drown through the demonic um, oppression um, or, in fact, throws, throws himself onto fires. And the parents bring this child to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know, your disciples couldn't heal my son. Can you heal my son? And Jesus has some firm words to say to his followers, to his disciples. And he says, you know, because you have so little faith, you couldn't do this. You had so little faith. Their faith wasn't even as large as a mustard seed. Jesus went on to say, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing is in, will be impossible for you. And I think sometimes we think we need to have this great faith. If only I had the great faith of this religious leader or that great faith of that church leader, then I would be able to see God move. No, no, it's not about having great faith. It's about having faith in a great God. Trusting him. Trusting that if he's called us into something, that he will do it. And he will deliver on his promises and he will resource for all that he's need, he needs. My friend Sarah, who set up this um, charity, working with um, women who are sex trafficked, she had no idea where the resources were going to come from. But as I said, it now employs 10 staff. That's quite significant. In this little town in Hertfordshire. And she's saving women from forced trafficking and prostitution. You know, however you feel today, God has positioned you for a purpose. God has you here today for this message. For his message. The message that he wants to communicate to you. However you hear God speaking this evening. God wants to say to you today. Take the seed that I'm planting in you and become a mustard seed planter. Replicate, build on what's already happened and if you think God can't use you remember the people in the Bible Noah was a drunk Abraham was old and he lied Moses had a stutter Jeremiah was depressed and suicidal Solomon he was too rich David had an affair and was a murderer Zacchaeus well he was too small Paul was too religious Timothy had an ulcer and Lazarus well he was dead God raised him to life though. I wonder what God wants to do in and through you for the sake of the kingdom. In this room this evening, there is huge potential. Seeds that God is planting in hearts. 
that when the presence of God comes, life begins to grow. Let's stand.